Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Here is the poem that got sent to me in email twice. How did the rose ever open its heart and give to this world all its beauty? It felt the encouragement of light against its being. Otherwise, we all remain too frightened. It's a beautiful poem. And what it reminds me of is why we come to meditation, mindfulness, spiritual practice, um, we really come um, because, like the rose, in order to shine, to give this radiance and beauty, um, we need to sense and feel that encouragement of light. And um, it's the purpose of the path and why we're here. So I was very moved by um, Tara Brock's book, on True Refuge, and I thought I would talk a little bit about the book. Um, and these are some of her words. I, I'm going to be reading some of her from her writing. And She says, The greatest gift of the spiritual path is coming to trust that you can find a way to true refuge. Find the way to that light, that beautiful light. In the midst of your life, you can find peace in any circumstance. It's a true desire for us to want to know that we can find that peace amidst anything. Even in the moments where the ground shakes terribly beneath you, when there is loss that will alter your life forever, you can still trust you can find your way home. That is possible because you, you have still touched the timeless love and awareness that are intrinsic to who you are. And we have a sense of that in meditation, in coming together in sangha, in our practice, in our loving-kindness practice. Some of us are practicing chanting and sound, yoga. We can touch that light, that something beautiful within. As we were sitting here, um, I was, this memory came up uh, this morning of this time as a child where I experienced this, maybe for, I'd say about the second time, um, my sister and I, um, we were living in a kind of um, project type of building. And um, our family was in just dire straits. And we were kids, I think kids don't always know the dire straits completely, you know? And, my father was quite ill in the hospital for, for, a, for quite a bit of time, and my mom was doing the single parent thing, and we were running out of money. And um, when we had traveled and gone away for the weekend to visit family, the people next door, who I think were probably heroin dealers, <laughs> came across the fire escape and took everything that we had of any value. And I remember this moment of shock and grief and um, all the things that go with feeling violated by by an event like that. And um, my sister and I sitting down together um, one evening, and we just got lost in song. We just started singing 
um, all the songs we knew. And we were just sitting there, two little girls singing, singing, and smiling and laughing. And I remember from this experience being bathed in this beautiful light and peace and felt like a shower from heaven, this openness of the heart. And in that moment, um, there was much particular um, angst about losing a few things. You know, it was just sweetness, just light, just being. Uh, it was the love of sharing the sound, the music, the company with her. And that simple presence of being was there. And that's kind of what Tara Brock is talking about in this book on true refuge. What is your true refuge? Where is your true refuge? And sometimes in those difficult moments, we find it just by that the experience of suffering and being, you know, that lightness of being. I never forgot that feeling of um, that, you know, being a, a little girl in that wide open heart, loving feeling that nothing could touch, nothing in this circumstance could touch, could penetrate. And that's ours. That's why we meditate. That's why we sit. That's why we come to practice. That's why we um, study the Buddha's path and all the other things everybody does here. It's for the truth of who we really are without all the trappings, right? And what she points to in this book is that many times we're caught, we're stuck in taking false refuge. Anybody have a sense of what that could be? False refuge? <laughs> the culture is loaded with it, right? Um, we're really programmed, hypnotized. We're in a trance of false refuge. So let's just check in. Um, let's share. What do you think false refuge is? And can you name a few? Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> perfect families. The perfect family, right, right. Right. Anyone else? Drinking. Mm, yep. There Shopping. You go. Shopping. Well, yeah. Yesterday was a TV marathon. <laughs> <laughs> All day long. Seeking. 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 Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Anybody else have any more? That perfect relationship, right? Um, Success. Uh, mm -hmm. Success, that amount in my bank account that will do it for me, and it keeps shifting, you know? It's like you get there, and then you want more, or then it goes down, right? Um, everybody should love me and adore me. How many people have sought refuge in that? Come on, be honest now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I should always do an excellent job, and then they should treat me fairly. Right? When my house looks like this certain way, like in the magazine, I'll have refuge there, right? <laughs> and when I can pay off the car, it's going to be smooth and easy living, right? And these are all the refuges that we take. And she calls them false. I would not say that they are false at all. I think they're very real. You know, uh, they're part of our culture and they're part of what we strive for. And I don't think striving is all particularly bad, but I would call them unstable. Mm -hmm. Unstable to the winds of, of time and change. Um, Chuck and I used to be in this uh, Eckhart Tolle group for, uh, for a while, and uh, we were reading Eckhart Tolle and meditating. On Eckhart. It was a lot of fun. 
And um, one of his stories are, is um, he's hiking in Malibu, and there's this little shack in the hills, and it says, careful, do careful, this structure is highly unstable. And he laughed because most of the things we take refuge in are highly unstable. I want to add my appearance. You know, um, I think uh, one of the things that I learned from family is that women had to be dressed up all the time and looking very good. You know, it's a refuge, right? A false one or an unstable one, the way you look, the health of your body. And um, this is what the Buddha's teachings are that all these things we take refuge in are um, going to change their impermanence and they will have suffering. And there really isn't some big self-identity that we can get from it, you know? Um, so, back to Tara. Um, so these are the things we fill our lives with and then cling and grasp to. We talk about this all the time. It's the core of Buddhist teachings, you know? Um, the author and Buddhist scholar Robert Thurman says, he jokes, Buddhists are always talking about practice. Practice, practice, practice. He says, what I want to know is, when is the performance? <laughs> so it's true, in order to get out of this trance, that's the answer in Buddhism, practice, 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 and more practice. Um, and uh, she has another quote in here that I really, really love. Um, see if I can find it. It's... Um, I don't remember who said it, but the most important thing is to remember what is the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we emphasize all the practice, is it's hard to break the trance of unstable refuges that we wrap ourselves in and then become very nervous and anxious. And um, we lose that essence, that presence, that natural beauty, that beautiful state. Um, and you've all had tastes of that beautiful state, you, right? Everybody can pretty well nod and remember that moment where the heart, the doors of the heart went open, yeah? Um, this beautiful light, this peace, this sweetness that's merging, um, whether it's nature or others, or watching children or something like that. You all know that sweet moment. And those moments don't tend to have a flavor of I or me in them or mine. Um, and they don't have a grasping sensation, right? It's just this beautiful light of being. Um, so um, the Dalai Lama was asked, what is the most important message to bring home to meditation students? And he said, tell them they can trust their hearts and awareness to awaken in the midst of all circumstances. So tell them they can trust their hearts and awareness to awaken in the midst of all circumstances. So he's saying trust that you have it. Trust is that you have it. It's very common for us to get pulled very quickly in the undertow of doubt. You know, um, I'm agitated in my meditation, I'm sleepy, my thoughts, I can't, I forget. You know, it, it, we, we go into doubt and it's the reminder to trust that we have it. Trust in heart and awareness to awaken in the midst of everything. We also have this funny doubt that we can't handle the bad stuff. Does anybody, you know, we're afraid of the bad stuff, we can't handle it, and we're really tensing around it and gripping. 
Um, but he's, he's letting us know we can awaken in the midst of all of it. All of it. Um, not that I would wish any bad things on any of you or myself. Um, so what are we doing here? We're, we're, we're long to trust in our capacity to handle the difficulties, to grow in wisdom, and to love deeply, finding the depths of meditation practice um, and as we are effective in this world. So, you know, we get the Buddhist map, you come to a sit like this, and we say, um, let's see, um, to take refuge in the truth of the teachings. And we point you to um, meditation, to really awaken and lighten up the inner life, to truly know who you are. Um, we talk about dedicating ourselves to ethical behavior, to wisdom, to wise action. Those of you in the Buddhist path teaching, right? We, you, we spent a lot of time on that this year. Um, and understanding the teachings that keep us and guide us on the path, right? Loving kindness things. And um, we, we teach you about taking true refuge. And traditionally, we um, refer to that as Buddha, Dharma Sangha, right? Buddha, the fact that we can all awaken, that we have all we need for awakening, and that he is the representation of the awakened one. Um, he's not a, a religious figure necessarily, for maybe for some people, but generally it's the capacity to awaken. And the Dharma is the truth, the teachings, learning all the teachings to stay on the path. Um, and the Sangha is the heart practice. It's our relational practice, that we don't do it alone, that we need each other, and that we really unfold in relationship. And it's a big part of, of keeping the heart open. So, But as we know, um, training our attention is really hard work, right? It's not just a cakewalk. Um, we're going against the grain of countless hours where we're lost in thought. This is from Tarva and unconsciously driven by wants and fears. She says, it's as though we've spent our life on a bicycle, pedaling hard to get away from the present moment. I love that image, right? Mm -hmm. It's as though we've spent our life on a bicycle, pedaling hard to get away from the present moment. We pedal to resist what's happening. We pedal to get somewhere else even if it's in chocolate, right? You know, we're just pedaling. And the more we feel like something is missing or something is wrong, in a sense, the faster we pedal. Which, um, you know, can be rather functional in daily life and not a bad idea. But what we're really trying to do is land in the present moment in where we are, you know, with whatever arising. Um, not pushing it away, not changing it, not resisting it, but abiding, being with um, as a way to be here now and even in this moment checking in feeling the body and sensing where you are this moment this moment now yeah so um, Swami Satchidananda was asked once by a student um, if he needed to become a Hindu to go deeply into practice and to awaken and Swami Satchidananda said um, I am not a Hindu, I am an undo. <laughs> so, you know, um, she points out, and this is again some of her language, some of it's mine too, 
but more hers. Uh, we are not pedaling towards some spiritual achievement. Rather, um, meditation allows for an undoing of our controlling behavior, an undoing of our limiting beliefs, an undoing of our habitual physical tensing, all the tightening and gardening, guarding, protecting that we do naturally, defending, right? Um, the defensive armoring, you know, we're all armoring up for the next hurt or rejection or pain, right? Um, and undoing our identification with this small and threatened self, with this little eye. And by undoing all of these things, we discover the vast heart and awareness that's beyond any small self of identity. So it's this undoing, this unraveling. Um, and uh, it gives us refuge in the face of any life situation. And it sure does. Um, my earliest teachers, she used to always say, we just don't meditate for the sunny day or for the peace or the quiet. We meditate for those difficult moments and those hard moments. And that's when you know in practice that why you practice. You know, in those tough, steely, hard moments, the practice is there to support you, you know? Um, so it's the gift of meditation practice. We find trust in who we deeply are in our capacity to um, remain in that equanimity, in that solid, in that beautiful state amidst whatever comes. So um, I'll stop here for a moment. So the undoing, we're not adding a new identity. We've said this a lot in here. Um, we're not adding a new spiritual self or a bunch of practices that we have to do. It's like we're peeling off and letting go and, and um, giving away what we don't need. And as we do that, um, as we let go of this self-identification, the ideas that we have of ourselves and others, and as we peel away these tendencies, what's left is like a vastness, a space, an emptiness, a beautiful sense of being that really can sometimes even feel like a void. It's spacious. And that's what um, we talk about in Buddhism when we talk about emptiness and no self, spaciousness, the boundary drops. Um, as we give up, as we undo, as we let go of these things that hold us conceptually, it's a visceral experience. You can actually experience that. And many of you have in, in meditation. It could feel a little scary. We sometimes reflect on that, right? But, but it's this freedom, freedom from within. Freedom from that identity that can choke, that can really hold. Um, so she asked this question in her book, how can we enter these gateways in our everyday life? How do we bring this in the everyday life? Um, and she talks about each domain of refuge having an inner aspect and an outer aspect. Um, and um, so each refuge that we talk about, she says, is a portal to this inner refuge of pure awareness, the living flow of truth and boundless love. That's a, what we seek, that boundless love. Um, 
And as we inhabit these expressions of our true nature, the trance of separation dissolves and we are free and empty. Now, most of us don't stay there permanently. <laughs> we can visit. Uh, and that's why we, we have sangha. And we come on Sunday morning. We don't go to the beach necessarily because um, we need each other to hold each other and guide each other into that space of boundless love, of freedom. Right? That's what we're doing here. Um, so she talks about not just Buddha, um, Dharma, and Sangha, but their representations of and guide us to truth, love, and awareness. And that's the three refuges that we're working on carrying with us into life, into our daily practice, our daily lives. So tr what is the truth? The truth of the way things are, um, the teachings of the Buddha, impermanence, um, suffering, you know, the things we usually talk about, um, the ethics, but it's also, and it's the truth of meditation, of how we land, how we're present in the moment. Um, but it's also the inner embodying, living in presence and realizing the nature of reality. So very often we're removed from the truth of the moment. You notice that? Mm -hmm. We're really not here. We haven't landed. We don't really know what's going on. A lot of it has to do with our hardwiring, with, with our neurological makeup. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that so much of our um, attention is outside of ourselves. But what is the truth of where we are in this moment for you? How do you land? And she goes on in the book to talk about how to work with truth in the present moment. And, and if we, maybe we'll get there. Um, I'll start to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, so true refuge is the, to love the truth and know the truth, the truth of who you are and where you are in this present moment, how you're really landing, to be intimate with it, physically, on a body level, on an emotional level, and a thought level. We call that mindfulness today, right? We call that practicing mindfulness to know really what's happening inside you and where you are. And um, love would be... Um, Setting that intention for conscious relationship, you know, a relationship that has caring, that has loving kindness, that has ethics, that has wise speech, that has a no harm um, policy. Not so easy to do, right? Yeah, it takes a little bit of mindfulness there, right? And embodying the loving presence that's ours, that we own. Um, and awareness, awareness of who we are and the luminous awareness. Okay. So what gets in the way? Let's talk about that for a few moments and I'll talk about how, um, one of the things she, she recommends. So what gets in the way? Um, let's see if I have that. 
Mostly, I would say, um, what gets in the way is, um, I can find it. You just don't find everything that you bring. <laughs> it's a rule, right? It's a rule. If you can find 50% of it, you're in good shape. Okay. So what gets in the way generally is um, this um, discursive mind that's having a lot of dialogue in there, you know? And it's sort of covering that light. It's just chattering all the time. And um, it goes two ways. It goes inward and outward. There's the outward judging and, and um, discurs discursive thinking about the way things should be and how other people should be. And then there's the inward one about how you should be. So, um, and some things we really land on and they become ruminations where our mind, it seems like the mind has grabbed it and then it's like the washing machine cycle, you put it on and the mind is just doing this, <laughs> right? It's just discussing it ad infinitum, right? And it's going back and forth like the deep washing cycle of the machine. It's just like I could hear the what do, 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 do. And you feel like you're in the washing machine and you're getting like, you know, it just takes a lot of energy and stress and nervous energy, frenetic energy, and then life becomes very unpleasant. It's hard to be here and you're walking around, the muscles all tense up, right? Just like, right? Do you know what I mean, right? That, that, so the mind will spin and tell a story because we're, we are hardwired to um, obsess about what's wrong to a certain degree. So you have to find your top list, your top 40 or your top 10, right? Like the records, we used to have the top 40. Um, how someone or people are treating you, that's a good one. And the mind will just review that over and over. It gets into it. Okay. Mistakes you are making and ways you are falling short. What you need to get done. That one can be a gorilla on my head. Every, I mean, if that, that to-do list weighs 20 tons if I am not watching that one. Um, and then I want to know why I have a neck ache. Like it's, <laughs> you know, you didn't get that done. Um, what others are doing wrong? Your worries about another person how you look, um, symptoms of being sick and what your symptoms mean, <laughs> what you can do about a relationship problem, how you want someone or people to change, what is going to go wrong next, what has already gone wrong, <laughs> how you need to change, Something you are craving. Something you really want to happen. And something you really wish was different. This is where the mind gets in the groove and just spins and stresses. And it covers the sense of being present here, light, alive, right? If it takes hold. It's like a bad weed in your garden, you know, the one that just gets on every plant and takes over. And then, yeah, it's like that. It's like that all the time and every day. Right? 
And, and then we go, what we tend to do after that is we say something like, well, I've been meditating for 20 years. I shouldn't feel like this, right? <laughs> or, you know, how much of the Buddha's teachings have I read and have I done? And I've done yoga. I've done my breathing exercise. I've listened to my relaxation tape, you know, and on and on and on. I'm still like this, right? Um, so it's just the, the difficulties of this modern mind, of modern life, the nature of this kind of life that visit us and then they grab and take hold, you know. It becomes like parasitic. So um, she says, what, what, what do we do? How do we find the true refuge? Okay. So a long time ago, um, she and another meditation teacher um, introduced this acronym called RAIN. Did people um, know that one? Everybody knows that one? RAIN? RAIN. Rain. Yeah, yeah. And it's an acronym that she created for mindfulness. And um, R is for recognize what's happening. A is allow life to be just as it is. I is investigate inner experience. And N is non-identification that allows us to rest in natural awareness. So it's like all of us together, you know, um, the most important thing is to remember what is the most important thing, yeah? And we need this group support, we really do. I, you can't do it alone. Um, to remember in the midst of this mind doing this story, um, the beauty of being alive, the beauty of being in a body, um, the beauty of your natural presence Right, this lightness of being. And um, this is one of the techniques she goes into in the book is um, take that pause in our lives and really see what's happening, right? Really get to know what's happening. Not what we think we know, but to get to know because of the way our neurological system is made up with different lobes and brain activity happening in different lobes. Literally, you cannot know that you're having an emotion or a fear. It, sometimes we're not present to everything that's going on. And so this is where meditation, mindfulness comes in, is to pause and pull inside, take in a few breaths, and sensing the body, being with the body, feeling into the body, it's a body-mind. Um, what's happening in this moment? My jaw is tight, um, I feel some pressure in my chest, there's some achiness in my back, right? To feel what's happening, what's the emotion that's present? What are the thoughts that are present? Really taking that time to explore the inner landscape, like placing a flashlight on it. And um, not judging it, being kind about it, and allowing life to be exactly, exactly as it is um, as we investigate this inner landscape. And then um, we don't identify it as me, as I. That's taken me a long time in my practice to disidentify and not feel like it's not me, but a state that's visiting. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this last week, but the way that I've been able to conceptualize that 
is to say, oh yeah, that's the central nervous system doing its thing. That's what? The central nervous system. That's, um, you know, the fear button, or the flight button, or the worry, you know, fight, fear, fight, flight, or freeze. You know, it's just my reaction. It's reactivity. Uh, but like we mentioned last week, if you have a smoke alarm in your house and you're um, grilling, um, you know, roast on your grill and the house gets <laughs> smoky, right, but there isn't a fire, the smoke alarm goes off. The smoke alarm doesn't know whether it's a fire or you're just grilling a piece of meat, you know, or whatever you're grilling, right? And so um, we're like that too, that a lot of times we're reactive by habit and by design, but without a solid reason. And when we explore thought and we look back in and we see it to the roots, it's essentially empty. You know, we can get to that empty place. And so the non-identification is, uh, isn't a me necessarily, it's a condition that's visiting. Um, so, um, She's talking about recognize, are, allow, allow life to be as it is, investigate, and um, non-identify into awareness. One of my um, colleagues was telling me about um, having to go to this board meeting and present this uh, program that she wanted funding for. and. Uh, she knew like she had to write it up and get it right and really get her ducks in a row to um, really look credible. And for days, she couldn't write. She couldn't think about it. She felt sleepy, very tired. Um, Resistant. And uh, then there was a lot of doubt. And it was like she's carrying this weight. But the one thing she didn't do was have that mindful check-in of what's going on, rain, right? Um, and we do that, we could walk around with stuff and be unconscious, like we're dragging a lot of unconscious material around, um, and actually we are using chocolate shopping, drinking, and TV <laughs> not to know it. It's very typical. So, um, I have to watch the time. So, she finally decided to meditate and use this rain to feel into her body and what was happening. And what it was was that a couple of people um, in that organization, there were, there were some men there that are very paternalistic and kind of condescending when they have a lot of power and they're, they're tough and they will say things that are a little challenging. And as a woman, she felt very intimidated by them. But, um, and she didn't even know that these people were living in her head rent-free, blocking her from her own power, from her own ability and knowledge, right, as a woman. Um, and she got, wow, this person is taking a lot of space in my being, you know, and really blocking um, my ability to get through. And then she meditated, and, you know, she stayed with that a little more, and she realized even that was a projection. You know, she had a very authoritative father who would sit at the table and say things, big judgments, and you know, everybody would feel very small. And she realized that she's just projecting that story even onto this board, this organization. And um, when she could sit with that and sit with that long enough, and the truth is sometimes we need help with that. We need therapy or another person or 
journaling or something supportive, right? Um, it's not always an alone thing. But when she could sit with that, she could see that this was her creation. You know, this was just a habit mind, habit mind, habit mind, habit mind. So, um, so what do we take refuge in, really? Right? How do we find the most important thing? So we'll sit for a couple of minutes, and I'll, I might read some of her words. Just closing your eyes. So some of our practice is trusting the energy that courses through you. Trust and then take surrender even deeper, being the energy, not pushing anything away, and following each sensation back to its source in vastness and pure presence. We're just taking a moment to sit here, be present, allowing ourselves to just have a moment of ease and becoming aware of the state of your heart. Is there a sense of openness or tightness, peace or anxiety, contentment or dissatisfaction? Maybe there's something of particular concern or importance going on in your life, or simply a strong emotion. And just allow that to come up to express itself. I mean, right now, this morning, it might be that we would want a relationship to be different. Or we want to get past something demanding at work or even free of pain. Whatever arises in this moment, just allow it to be here. And with interest, ask yourself, if I got what I wanted, what would that really give me? Perhaps you imagine you might be treated differently or you'd be less reactive or free to be more loving. Continuing right now with this inquiry, what matters most in my life? What matters most in this life? If I was at the end of my life looking back, what would be most important about how I live today?
what would be most important about how I live in this moment. And as you pose these questions, sense that you are addressing this directly to your heart. What does my heart really long for? What matters most in this life? If I was really at the end of my life looking back, what would be most important about how I live today, how I live in this moment? Just allowing yourself to stay present to these questions. Still sensing the feelings of your body, particularly your heart. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.